0: to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be on the line later today by Yuri Pagel. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you just a little kind of recap of the week that was, give you some insights into what's going on here, and then we'll jump into this episode. But man, I think I mentioned this maybe last week, but when i record these on monday nights i've kind of had this feeling the last couple weeks it doesn't feel like a monday like i feel like i packed so much into monday it almost feels like a tuesday night i almost have to like stop and pause and remember what i was doing in the morning but i think that's a really good sign it's a sign that you know things are going well that i'm passionate and excited about the things that are going on and ultimately I mean, I just feel like really good, like probably the best I've felt in years, physically, mentally, emotionally. I just feel like I'm in a really good place. And this is a time for me to make a push in certain areas of my life. So hopefully you guys are going to be seeing the fruits of that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a few minutes. But I think the thing that I want to start by talking about and highlighting is the coaching that's going on right now. Like I'm really, really excited about the crop of athletes that I have in there and, the basketball program that Joey and I started, you know, 5 years ago has just continued to grow, it's continued to blossom. And it's cool because Joey and I have always talked about like there's going to be people that come into the program and they won't stick. And we have to kind of be okay with that because, you know, they're not the right fit for our program, right? Some guys want instant results. Some guys are, and I know I've talked about this before, just unwilling to pay. Right? They don't value the work that they're getting um, or they're unwilling to pay for other reasons. They're used to getting free work. But I feel like I'm very proud of the crew of guys that we have right now because all of them are on a path. Right? Whether it's Glenn, Keelan, Dakota, Bryce, Kellen, you know, like all of these guys are on a path and they are ascending. So that's what's exciting. And what's even cooler is now we're starting to get other guys from the outside that are like, hey. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing up there, but like, I want to come get work. So we got a new guy that just started today, Devin, who's been killing it overseas for like the last three or four years, has had two amazing years in Turkey and, you know, was like, Hey, I just want to come up here. He's from Cincinnati. He's like, I want to come up here and I want like the full experience. I want to immerse myself in, in the game and in developing my game. So it's really cool to see that happening. And, you know, I know I mentioned this on the show, but it's like, I mean, I'm so passionate about basketball. It's like, I don't want to leave other sports behind, but because we are doing good work and because we are continuing to get referrals, like the soccer program is continuing to grow. I've got some new soccer guys in as well as some of our girls that have been there for years. I've got them in. I've got a softball girl who I absolutely love working with. My boy, Jalen Robinson is still around. So it's just really exciting times and I'm really excited about kind of just where the gym is at, where my coaching is at, and just reminding myself that, dude, 20 years, crazy to think about. I've been doing this 20 years now, but I mean, I still get up every day and I'm excited to do it. And so that just kind of reminds me like, I, I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. And you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my guy Glenn here because Glenn has been locked in for the last two months. And I'm sure a, a vast majority of NBA guys, if you got them one on one, would probably say they're not hugely thrilled about going to Orlando and going into this bubble and playing it, you know, in front of no fans. But I will say this: Glenn is prepared like an absolute professional. Uh, he always does, but I'd say he's even further along now than he has been in the past. I mean, just where his body's at physically, his mindset. So I'm really excited for that guy, not just for the rest of this year, but for the rest of his career because he is. He has dialed in, my friends, and I'm ready to see him go out there and demonstrate what that work has, has, has put in and just watch it pay off. So the coaching has been awesome. Uh, one thing you might have noticed, too, over the last week, if you're pretty locked in on the gram, is that I have been a little bit quieter than usual. I had two, like, 40-plus day streaks where I didn't miss any posts, and then last week kind of fell off the wagon, but... I think every now and then you have to take a step back and, and just focus on the highest value tasks, right? Like what are the things that are really going to move the needle in your life or in your business? So for me, I got three like really important things done last week. Number one, uh, if you have not checked out the complete coach certification webpage, go check it out. You know, even if you bought the product, go and look at the webpage because it is beautiful. I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but it's so, it was frustrating to me before because I felt like the quality and the content of the product was first class and the website was just kind of mediocre, right? Like if you knew nothing about me, you knew nothing about the quality of my work, if you went to that webpage, you'd be like, eh, eh, it's okay, right, I'm not really excited versus if you go to that website now, it looks fire. So very excited to have that done and there's more pieces on the back end of that puzzle that i'm working on but that was the starting point right was making that website look amazing and reflect the quality of the product that you get when you buy the cert so that is done excited about that number two i fast you we are up and running and my friend this has been like a two-month ordeal i can't tell you how frustrating it's been it's just been one thing after the other right it was like getting all the information And then getting all the stuff updated. And then every time we would update something, something would break, right? The membership site would break or the theme finally broke. And then we had to go out and get a whole new theme and then make sure everything looked good with the new theme. I mean, what a disaster. But I can tell you, it is worth it. Two months later, we are in. Very excited about where that's going. You know, Bill and I are just, we're so passionate about educating and Not that I'm not passionate, but somehow I think Bill has even surpassed me in that regard. And he really feels this calling now to help educate the next wave of young trainers, coaches, physical therapists. So we are so excited to get that up and running. At least two Q&As, I think maybe three Q&A calls every month after talking to Bill. Two pieces of fresh content because we want to have this nice blend of like content we feel like you need to know and that you need to understand along with that ability to sit there and ask Bill and I questions like, hey, why do you do this? Why does this work? Or why am I not getting results with this client? So very excited to have that done. Now, as much as I was bragging about the Complete Coach website and how pretty that sales page is, IFASU sales page, probably not so much. But just know and understand that that is going to be a continual work in progress as we start to ramp that site up. As we get more members, we're going to continue to reinvest in that because I think the two big educational pieces for me going forward are going to be the certification and iFastU. So that way you've got kind of an on-ramp into Bill and I's world with the cert. And then once you're starting to feel comfortable there, or you continue to have questions, or you need more kind of dynamic interaction, that's where iFastU will come in. And then the final piece was I had my guy Paul in over the weekend shot, it doesn't sound like a lot, but we shot like eight videos. So we shot six shorter YouTube-ish videos, shot one piece for the certification, just like a, an add-on piece. And then I shot a really long form, and by really long form, I think probably end up being 15 to 20-ish minutes video that I'm just calling The Ultimate Guide to Breathing. And I'm really excited for that. If you're on the newsletter list, you're gonna get immediate access to it. If you're not on the newsletter list, come on, man, get on there. It's free. You just get free stuff, right? There's no reason not to be on there. But kind of take a deep dive into the world of breathing, how I got started in it, some of the biggest mistakes and misconceptions I think that are going on out there, how to coach your breathing exercises more effectively. And then I just called it like the smorgasbord of breathing exercises, talking about the different target areas, whether it's the lower back, the upper back, the chest walls, the lateral ab walls, it's just like this compendium of of exercises and movements that you can start using and you know I think too often unless you're Bill Hartman it can get very very difficult to siphon out like what resets should I give somebody what breathing exercises should I give somebody and in some ways we've lost this ability to just like take the obvious and run with it so if somebody has a massive curve in their lower back hey You know, that area is probably compressed. Let's find a way to drive some air into that space and loosen it up. So I think that's what that video is going to help with. It's going to give you some really, I don't even want to say watered down. It's just going to make the topic of breathing a lot simpler. So very excited about all that. And then I think the final piece that I wrote down here, and this is one part message to myself, one part message to you too, as we kind of come out of this whole COVID coronavirus debacle that's been going on for the last 3 months now. I think one of the things that I struggled with a lot early on was this this idea of finding separation or creating barriers. And it's hard, right? So think back to when quarantine started. And I don't know your situation, but I mean, with us it's, you know, me and Jess, we've got two kids, we got a dog and a cat. And so your living space which should just be for living also becomes your workspace and your school space. And everybody is stuck around each other all the time. And I think the hardest part for me was I got in this really bad routine of, you know, kind of constantly half working, constantly half parenting, half being a spouse. And so I wasn't really doing anything very well. And so one thing I've really been trying to do here lately is this this idea of finding or creating separation or creating barriers. So I would just kind of put that thought in your head as well, because look, we're not out of it yet, right? And and maybe you're still stuck at home or maybe you're home a lot more than you're used to or you're not traveling. I would say this is something that's really helped me in the last couple of weeks is just try and find ways to create separation and set boundaries for yourself. And maybe that's setting a hard work, Stop time, right? Like at 5 p.m., I'm done working. Or, you know, from 5 to 8, it is just about families. And that's one thing that I've really tried to do is like, hey, when I come home from work, I'm not really working from whenever, 3 or 4 till 8 or 9, whenever the kids go to bed. I may have to do a little bit more stuff after they go to bed. Uh, so maybe I'm going to take 45 minutes to an hour and grind out some stuff that I need to get done. But I think if you can find ways, to create separation and create more rigid barriers in your life, I think it's just gonna make things a lot simpler and it's gonna make everything a lot cleaner. So I just feel like less cluttered, less messy in my brain on a day-to-day basis. So, okay, my friend, a little bit longer than usual. Hope you don't mind, just really excited about a lot of things going on and excited to share them with you. So we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump into this awesome new episode with my boy, Yuri Pekel. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results and the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next cert will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insider's list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Yuri Pagel is a strength and conditioning coach from Amsterdam, who is currently working with Ajax Soccer as an assistant to the first team, as well as leading the developmental team. He also works with the Dutch men's national three-on-three basketball team, who was training for the 2020 Olympics until they were postponed due to the coronavirus. In this show, Yuri and I touch on a ton of important topics. We start by discussing why having a non-traditional background shouldn't be considered a liability in our industry how to have success without having a mentor to guide you, the player development process, and then finish off with the role and value of emotionally connecting with your athletes. This is a really great show, and I know you're gonna love it. But enough for me, let's do this. Yuri, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so I'm Yuri, 27 years old now. I am a uh, performance trainer slash strength and conditioning trainer slash sports performance, whatever <laughs> we want to call ourselves these days. Yes. So yeah, I'm a performance trainer. I work primarily at IOPs, so that is the the soccer club here in Amsterdam for those who don't know. And I work with the three on three Dutch men's national basketball team and the national men's basketball team here.
0: Very cool. That pretty
1: much uh, comprised my my weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that keeps you busy, right? Yeah. And what originally led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in all this? I'd have to
1: go real far back. So I've, I've always had an immense passion. Like when I was really young and I first got into basketball, that was about the age of 11, 12. I, I, I was just so incredibly passionate about sports. I was yep. not the most physically gifted person on earth, but I really enjoyed playing and I really enjoyed watching it. Yep. I was just always dumbfounded by these amazing athletes and that kind of pulled me towards it but i never thought it'd be a career path if that yeah. makes sense yeah for um, sure so after high school i went to business school finished that however uh, halfway through business school no matter like it was a fun study like don't get me wrong and i was like oh it's a good career but it never truly like it got to my heart like it never right. pushed like pushed me to want to do better to really improve at that so it was like just always i just always felt eh, about my career path mm-hmm. So halfway through I, I I was a gym rad. Like I was always in the weight room, always training. And halfway through my my undergrad here at the University of Amsterdam in business, I basically went up to one of the owners at a, a public gym here in Amsterdam and I just asked him, like, can I do an unpaid internship? Like I'm I'm always like helping guys, helping girls in the gym because you know, you're enthusiastic and you you overly help people that don't <laughs> want to be helped. And I was like, Yeah, sure, let's do it. So that was like my first step in health, I guess. It wasn't it wasn't into sports, it was just regular PT. Yeah. That's how I got started. And from there, you know, I let's just call it I got very lucky. I got my first chances, I wanna say two years after I started as a as an intern working here with a, a professional basketball team here in Amsterdam, which was head of strength and conditioning position, aka an unpaid internship. Yes. Yeah. that was my first step back. And that was, ever since then, I mean Like where I wasn't in college, not really excited about my career path. It's like I couldn't be in opposite worlds right now.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, not to get too sidetracked here right off the bat, but this is something you would describe it as luck. But I always tell young coaches, like, you have to get experience, man. You got to get out there and there's only so much you can learn flipping through Instagram or reading articles or watching YouTube videos. You got to get out there and you got to experience this. You got to coach people. You got to cut your teeth. And until you do that you know, it's going to be hard for you to get to where you want to go or see the level of success you want.
1: Yeah. Right. It's, it's I want to say, I know a lot of people immediately want to get into like sports, you know, yes. that's the first thing Like, I want to get, I want to work with the highest level athletes on earth. And I'm just so blessed the first two and actually three years, because in the beginning I didn't get paid for the actual work in sports. Yeah, Like I was working with 40, 50 year old women or men that were up to 60, 65 and they couldn't do a goblet squat in the very beginning working with them. Yep. And I'm like, oh man, this, you know, you try to find ways to work around restrictions. Yep. And then when I first got to working in basketball, I was like, oh my God, these are all going to be amazing athletes. I'm going to have the easiest time. I'm going to load them. They're going to power clean 130 kilos. It's going to be fantastic. Yep. And what happened? I have some guys that couldn't do a goblet squad so <laughs> was yep. right back to square one. And it's like, if you have the experience, so for me, it's so blissful having the experience working with the general population, yep. learning how to work with people that don't necessarily move well naturally, and then from there, being able to expand and working with higher level athletes and people that do immediately get a grasp of what you're trying to teach them.
0: Yep. But you can also
1: help the dudes that maybe they're just fantastic on the court,
0: yes, but they are
1: awful in the weight room.
0: Yep. I love it. I love it. So tell me, last but not least, a little bit about your career path. So you do, uh, quote unquote, unpaid internships. Like, how do you get from there to where you're at now?
1: Let's just call it a whirlwind or tornado. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been quite the path. So I did my first two years as an SNC working at that basketball team here in Amsterdam. That was unpaid. Halfway through my second season, I actually got an offer from another basketball club here, which played European uh, European ball, so it was a little bit higher level of a team. Yep. I could actually do both at the same time, which was oh, fantastic. Nice. Yeah, the second team actually. The, so the first team I started working with was like, yeah, you're not paid, so we can't really tell you to not do anything else. Right. And the other team, literally, the owner there told me, yeah, you're they're not really our competition, so it's fine. So yeah. I worked both teams at the same time at that time through just fantastic connections, meeting fantastic people. I got to work with the three-on-three and the regular national basketball team. So kind of went from working with one of the smaller teams to a bigger team to a national team. Yeah. And I had been doing that for, I want to say, two and a half years when all of a sudden, like, for me, totally out of nowhere, Ajax Colts, I'm my current boss at Ajax, he called me and he said, "Hey, we're gonna have position available. How would you like to make a step into into soccer?" And that was just totally unexpected to me because I hadn't had any previous experience within soccer. But he invited me over uh, for a chat, couple chats actually. Fantastic, of course, and and for those who understand soccer and soccer culture a little bit, Ajax is a decently big yeah. team over here. That was really an honor to to get to start there, and that's been my past season. So the this past season and ending, of course, in in the Corona crisis. It's it's been a very, very interesting and fun year, year one in soccer.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start with something that I'm really interested in because you know this show is really all about me and what I want to talk about, but you're just you're really fascinating in the fact that you didn't come up with a traditional mentor or in a traditional S and C environment, right? Like you were a business guy. And then you kind of decided I'm passionate about this and I'm gonna make that play. So how do you go about learning and kind of building your chops as a coach? What did you do?
1: So actually, I I don't remember who I, someone else in the industry I I spoke to about this and we were talking about this exact thing. Like I I used to for a while think that my background in business was a weakness for me as a strength coach, which I guess in a certain sense, it probably is. But in the other hand, uh, like uh, the spectrum, it's also kind of a blessing. And where I'm trying to go with that here is, so when I grew up within the field, Like my first job was as a head of strength and conditioning, right? My second job was as a head of strength and conditioning. (laughs) My third and fourth jobs were as head of strength and conditioning. Now this past year at IX was actually the first time that I was an assistant anywhere, right? Like you obviously want to learn from people that are smarter than you better than you. And I have had those people around me. I've been around some fantastic physical therapists. I've been around some fantastic nutritionists, personal trainers, like the, I've had two mentors my first two years of personal training. They, they took me under their their wings and they, they really showed me the ways, but I didn't necessarily have one in strength and conditioning. So trying to go from training for health to training for performance, I basically just had to use a trial and error approach. It was like, and I like to use this, this story, my first year working in basketball, Like I I was very passionate about weightlifting, about powerlifting, you know, who who isn't, right? Right. You're in the room, you love that kind of stuff. And so what I thought was, okay, jumping, for instance, because these players, they wanted to jump higher. In season, they were like, uh, yeah, we want to jump higher. Okay, fantastic. So jumping, of course, related to force, let's get them stronger and they'll jump higher. There is, of course, something wrong with that statement there. But in the beginning, of course... They weren't really exposed to strength training, so they got better. Now, yeah. let's say the first six six months, we tested, retested, and their vertical jump had all improved. I was like, oh, fantastic. I'm doing a great job. I'm a great head strength coach. This, this is <laughs> going to be a for the rest of my career. Second half of the year, which, of course, is already a more difficult phase. You got playoffs, way more stress, so it's harder to get an adaptation like jumping. Yep. But I kept doing the same thing, strength work. Right. Now you can already guess where this is going. Maybe one, two, had a slight increase in vertical jump and the rest were all stagnant or went down. Right. And where I'm going is like a lot of people, they grow up in the industry and all they have is they have assistant jobs or intern jobs and they basically never get the freedom to make the mistake. Yeah they always have someone else make the mistakes and all of a sudden you climb up the rankings and all of a sudden boom you're head of strength but you never actually had the experience or the opportunity to make mistakes and now you're leading a big time program hopefully for you and well my thing was like i was allowed to make mistakes because there was no head of performance there was nobody looking over my shoulder it was just me making a mistake and then trying to learn from it now i think that was fantastic for me but if you are ahead of perform or if you immediately get like an opportunity like that but you're not reviewing your own performance as a strength coach then it can really be a downside yeah so like to me it was an absolute blessing because naturally like i've always been that way i've always been kind of an autodidactic person so like I'll, I'll dive into any book any literature i can probably find and just try to find a reason why my work isn't working or is working i've always been that way right but if you don't and you're just making mistakes but you're not looking critically at yourself making those mistakes and nobody's looking over your shoulder checking those mistakes then it could actually of course maybe work negatively
0: yeah for sure and i think there's a great point in there too kind of at the the forefront of this when you're talking about not viewing your business background as a liability and I, that's something that i tell virtually every person that wants to be a coach that i come in contact with that doesn't have the traditional S&C background, or they don't have the exercise science degree, like who cares? I mean, I've hired people at my gym. One guy was like an engineer at at for like 24 years. We had a guy that was a master of economics. We had a guy that was a music major. Like sometimes those are your most creative coaches, right? Because they don't think in that traditional sense. So they bring an, an added element of like depth and creativity to your work. So I would say if you're listening to this and you don't follow the traditional path, but you still want to get into this, don't look at it as a liability. Use it as a strength and, and use it as a unique way that you've come into the industry because you have unique experiences that other traditional coaches don't have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent.
0: So another thing that I'm interested in is is how you've managed and how you've been successful across multiple sports, because- I mean, you know, you've been in soccer and basketball now at high levels, right? Ajax is not like a small, a small time club. So could you just talk a little bit more about the sports that you've been involved in and then why you think that you've been successful working in each one?
1: I mean, I think the first thing here we have to kind of acknowledge is like there's, there's multiple ways that lead to Rome. And for me personally, what that means is so before I get into the the sports specific stuff is like my view on sports performance is i train a human then i train an athlete then i train the sport so i want to make sure that someone can actually move like a human being then i want to make sure that someone can move like an athlete and then i want to make sure that someone can move specifically for their sport because their sport they're already training that all the damn time yeah like that's what they do and especially if we're talking basketball and soccer specifically that's h8 and all we're doing is filling up that sport bucket it's like we're not even diversifying at a young age anymore it's like over here you know eight years old you're in the academy boom all you do is you play soccer basketball thing you know the the summer circuits it's just all basketball Mm -hmm. so my first thing is okay fantastic you've developed all these movement patterns that are very specific to basketball what happens When you get out of those movement patterns, you know, that's where I think a risk starts to happen when you get onto the court. So I, from the very start, want to try to get them to move better as human beings. I'm not going to take them away from their movement patterns at all, because I know that's what makes them fantastic. But I'm trying to make them move like a human being, especially if we're talking about seven foot damn spiders that are walking around in your waiting room. Like there (laughs) are certain things where we can be very sure they're not going to move well. So that's my first thing. So let's just say, you know, they have to be able to hinge. They have to be able to squat. They have to be able to lunge, push, pull vertically, horizontally, resist all motions of the spine, then create motion. Right. Second point is then, okay, I want to make them better athletes. What makes a good athlete one that is able to exert force fast, high amounts of force, able to relax quickly, turn, sprint doesn't matter what sport you have or what you play, playing. You're generally going to need some of these aspects. Like if, yeah. if you're small, you get beat, right? Brick feet will get you beat. Okay, <laughs> so that's like my second thing is I'm trying to just turn them into a good athlete. Then the third thing is, okay, now specifically it's about the sport. Let's say for basketball, repeat jump ability. Like, you know, you got to rebound, tip in. You got to be able to, just like Zion, be able to explode off the ground for a second jump quicker than the first person get and still get maximal power or maximum jump height. Okay. So that kind of stuff is specific to basketball. I want to practice and train that, but I also want to make sure that before that they are actually able to produce enough force to jump high in the first place. And before I do that, I want to make sure that they can actually apply force vertically. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, my way of approaching it. So I think a lot of people want to make sports very, very different from each other and they are they're very different. Like put a, put a basketball player on a soccer pitch, and it looks horrible. Put a soccer yeah. player on a basketball field, on a basketball court, give them a basketball to shoot, and they're trying to act like James Harden, but they're not. Yes. There are also way more similarities, and there are differences. So the way that a human body can change direction, there's not that many different ways. The way that a human body can produce force, not that many ways. Like there is just a finite amount of ways that we can basically move as a human being. So I want to make sure that I get all that first, And then, of course, we focus on the things that make the sport unique from anything else. So my biggest exposure to sports has been soccer, basketball, and fighting. And so, for instance, one of the big things is in the fighters, I work with heavyweight guys. So my first thing is, okay, do you run your sport? No, you do not. You are also 110 kilos. (laughs) You're very lean. There's no reason to do, do a lot of running for your conditioning, which of course is very big in the culture. Like it yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Like I'd rather save that system load for any for something else. They have to train rotationally a lot more. What's a the restriction there? They constantly are, you know, have a lot of T-spine flexion. Like that's how they stand. That's what their postures. So what happens there? I have to maybe give them the opposite. I train a little bit more T-spine extension. If I want to do vertical pressing with them, I can't really get them into true vertical position. So I'll go a little bit more of a hybrid press, like a landline press. Yep. That's like very significant, or maybe some of the details I would focus on with a fighter. Then if we're talking about a soccer player, what's more important? Linear speed, maximal speed development. If we're talking about a basketball player, it's having to adjust specifically to their, you know, their bodies, yeah. which are like I said, spiders or, or, or gazelles or, or zebras or whatever in the gym, they're they're huge. Right. So for them, it's it's adjusting to making sure that all these traditional weight room methods are made for weightlifters, that we can actually adapt those to basketball players. So to, to cut back, it's like, I want to go from human to athlete to sport. And then, of course, I kind of reverse engineer to find the detailed aspects of each sport and that we train or train around.
0: Such a fantastic answer. And... I think the longer I do this and the more programs I write, because I've, you know, been lucky to work with a lot of different athletes from a lot of different sports, is that when you boil it down, a lot of the stuff, like you said, whether it's producing force, whether it's taking people into the weight room, a lot of that stuff is foundational. Like every athlete needs it. What it comes down to is sometimes there's specific things like in your speed or power work that's specific to the sport. Sometimes it's your conditioning finding ways to make your conditioning tissue specific as you get closer to the uh, competitive environment. But then the last piece I think that's most important is being able to connect the dots for the athletes, right? So how is this exercise going to help your basketball player and being able to to relay it in a way that's meaningful or significant to them? Whereas a soccer player, maybe a little bit different context, but a squat is still a squat, but why does, why does it matter to them that they're squatting? And so I think that's something that, If you can hone that, like a squat or a push up or a hinge, like you said, they're universally applicable. It's being able to relate it back to that person and explain this is how this is going to make you a better athlete.
1: That's so spot on. Like my last year here at IX, like I want to say I adjusted to the sport, like the actual sport very quickly, like Mm -hmm. understanding the sport, learning the players, learning how to work around them, but actually speaking their language took the longest. Yes. Cause I had always, I've just been embedded into basketball culture yeah. and then soccer culture was so different. Mm-hmm. It just took me a while to, to relay the same message that I tell these basketball players and we're, we know it's the same message, but Absolutely. they have to hear it in a different sense because eventually com- communication comes down to you have something in your head. They don't have that knowledge. How are you going to make sure that they get your knowledge? And the thing is like a lot of strength coaches, what's normal is like we have one universal way of telling something. Right. And a basketball player might respond fantastic, but then I threw some of that same stuff at a soccer player and it would just bomb. It didn't yeah. work. That was actually, it's a very good point. That was the thing that actually took the longest for me this past season at IX was actually adjusting to the language more than the actual sport itself.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can say that because I, I think I failed miserably my first year working with like the Indy 11 here in, in Indiana because I'd been around soccer players, but being around guys, being on a pitch, You know, getting used to their terminology, their vocabulary is totally different. So I know it took me a year or two to get comfortable with that too. And then the longer I did it, the more comfortable I became, the better the analogies were, the context is better because you've seen more, right? And you've been exposed to more. So fantastic stuff, man. Okay. I want to touch on one more thing from this thread and then we'll move on. Why do you want to work in the NBA? Putting me on the spot. Um, (laughs) So... I remember, I, I want to say I was 10 years
1: old and I saw a photo in a news article of Kobe and Shaq. Mm-hmm. So like them together. And I remember I, I was this, I was the smallest kid in class. And all I just saw, I, I was just immediately impressed. Like I saw that. And I remember a couple of years later when Kobe hit 62 and three quarters against the Mavericks, you know, against the Mavericks in like 06.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I woke up and I saw another newspaper article, like, and I immediately went online. I saw the highlights and it was just... It had always been such a huge part of me as a as a kid, the NBA. It just left a certain mark on me. And like it was always my goal as a kid to get to the NBA. And this was my reasoning. I used to score four points a game. And I remember Brian Scalabrini, the white mamba, he scored The NBA. So I said if I score four and he scores two, I can definitely get to the NBA. That's of course the worst thing you could ever imagine. But it it was always my childhood dream to get to the NBA. That of course was never gonna happen. Sure. But I feel like there is other ways and other avenues through which I can still kind of fulfill my childhood dream. It's like I love high performance sport, I love working in soccer and fighting and working with all these different athletes, but I just kind of owe it to my childhood self to be able to say, look, bro,
0: we made it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. No, I love it. And I love the fact that, you know, you're not afraid to share that because a lot of people, I think, they tamp down their own dreams or expectations for whatever reason, right? Because they don't think they can get there. They don't have the confidence. It's like, I man, you got to put it out there. You got to put it out there. And then, then it's all about the process, right? And I know yeah. you're committed to that. It's just like anything else. If you want to play in the NBA... You can make that goal, but there's a process you're going to have to go through on a day-to-day basis to get yourself there. And I love that you're doing that. So, all right, I totally want to switch topics here. I know a topic that you and I are both immensely passionate about, and that's player development. So let's start really base level here. What does the term player development mean to you?
1: So player development would then mean to me personally, we're looking at development of an athlete within the sport. Mm -hmm. Again, I would just like the same buckets, human, athlete, player, player within the sport. I think what defines that to me is making sure that the athlete is central, like they are the focal point of anything you do and making sure that all different different avenues and, and parts of working within a team are all centered towards helping one individual Develop. So, what you see oftentimes, and let's use the example of the NBA, there are players with immense talent that lack certain traits, whether that's physical, tactical, technical, psychological, et cetera. And they flame out in the NBA. And then you hear certain people say, Oh, this team didn't develop him or him well. And that's kind of where I lean towards like, okay, if we're talking player development, it means if that's a goal of yours, it means you take your own pride, your own things that you have an emotional connection to, you put that to the side and all you do is you try to do as a team what's best for that specific athlete and player and human being.
0: Yeah, dude, such such a good answer because one thing that, that I find and it's unfortunate is that, and you don't see it as much now, I feel like we're getting better about it, but like even as little as five years ago, it was all about the coach, right? It's like you got the athlete, but then the player development coach wants to do this, and the strength and conditioning coach wants to do this. And everybody's got like their own line of pull and they're all pulling on the athlete, right? Versus everybody kind of coming together and having this discussion of, okay, where is this guy at or this gal? What do we need to do to get him to the next level? And having this like really cohesive operation for how we bring it together. So I love that, that that focus on it's all about the athlete first and foremost. So Kind of the follow-up to that would be like how do you go about developing a player? So in other words, you have like an intake or an ev- eval process? You know, does that drive things? Like what does your process look like when you talk about developing a player?
1: Of course that's that's different in a team setting than than in the private industry. So if, sure. if you work private industry, first thing you of course, like you do, like you say, you take a full player evaluation within the sport as well as basically an intake or an assessment within the weight room or whatever things you want to test. Sure. In a team setting, of course, you are restricted by maybe time, budget, too large of a team, not enough staff members. So you try to find a way, but I guess it's still the same process. It's just, it might have different aspects. The first thing I do when I start working with someone is I do an assessment and the assessment is only to me what is totally necessary for me to influence their training program. So let's say there are a trillion different jumps I can do as a test. I will only use the ones that are gonna give me enough information that are gonna drive enough information for me to then start working with them. And then of course, training is testing, testing is training. So yeah, sure. along the way, you can try to refine that process. Then, like you said, an assessment doesn't necessarily have to just be, you know, the the jumping, the the 40-yard dash, et cetera. It can also be, you know, you ask them lifestyle questions. Ask them about their sleep, about their nutrition. Preferably you would work together with a professional within that field itself. Right. Sure. So I enjoy working when possible. If an athlete has the, the opportunity financially, I would much rather refer out to a nutritionist that I feel confident in and refer out to a physiotherapist and refer out to a sports psychologist, because eventually they're gonna have way more in-depth knowledge of their field than you could ever than I could ever have. For sure. Like I know I only have like I am very specifically like my knowledge is very specifically catered towards physical preparation. Yep. Then there are people that are very catered, very much catered towards technical or tactical development. Then there are people that are very, very knowledgeable about nutrition, about rehabilitation, etc. It is you all have your own little island, and then if you are able to communicate with each other effectively. And you're able to make the best of all these different worlds. And you're really trying to help, like truly help the athlete. Yeah. While if you're trying to do it all by yourself, so you're doing the assessment, you ask them about sleep, ask them about nutrition, ask them all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you try to all pull that towards yourself. You're never truly going to be able to help the athlete, like to the best of your abilities, because you can only know so much. Yeah. That's not a weakness. It's actually a strength to relay that and bring them to someone else who has more knowledge of that specific aspect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would want the opposite, right? If they go to the nutritionist and they're asking strict training advice, you'd really like it if they would refer to you, right? Versus, oh, this is what I read on my favorite blog today, you know? You know, and something else that you said that I think is vitally important. When it comes down to really developing somebody, I think a huge part of it is just that entry level conversation you have, right? It's like you and I, it's like the tests, the information, we can do all of that. But I think some of the most valuable pieces of that puzzle are the conversations that you have either during that assessment or even just like kind of right before the preseason or right before the offseason is going to kickstart, right? You're just like, you know, like, what do you feel like you need to work on? Like, what do you feel like you want to add to the bag this summer? And sometimes those conversations are so lucid because... The athlete knows better than anybody else in most cases, right? Sometimes they're oblivious, but you know, most of them, if they're at a high enough level, they know like, what do I need to work on? What's going to get me to the next level? And I find some of those are the best conversations because they're willing to be a little bit vulnerable. They're willing to be honest and they're willing to have this discussion with you of this is what I need to work on. And then for you, it makes the off season so much easier. Because now it's like, you can always come back to that. Like, hey, you know how you said you wanted to work on speed this summer? This is how we're gonna do it. Or this is, you know, you said you wanted to bulk up. This is how we're gonna do it. So, I mean, there's so many ways to attack that, but like the conversation starts so much. And I love the fact too, that you're not doing like 30 bazillion tests, just a test, right? Like you have a conversation, you assess what you need and then you get into training. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, and I think like you said there, it's like, I, I was very fortunate. So, when I started in strength and conditioning, like my first head strength job, like I was 24 and I was working with guys that were 30. And then, my yes. second team, European play, like a lot of guys were 33 to 35. Now, also with the national team, like there are plenty of guys that are 33, 35. Like they are closer to the end of their career than the beginning, like than yeah. I am the beginning of mine. Yeah. And what do you think, like the first couple of years, like I would oftentimes just, Like I press, like, this is, this is what we're going to be doing. Yada, yada, yada. this, this is, this is where we're going. Yeah. And what I've started to find out is like working with some of these guys, they would give me feedback. Like, Hey, you know, I'm saying that you're doing this and this, I've been doing such and such my entire career. Would you be okay if I did this exercise or this amount of volume or whatever? You start to have these discussions and you notice that if sometimes you meet them halfway you get so much more buy-in. Absolutely. So for instance, what I did my, uh, so what I've done this past couple of weeks. So with the three on three team, we're back practicing again. Yep. And we don't have any competitions for the next, at least three, four months, mm. meaning just about physical, tactical and technical development. Yep. And I'm working with guys, the youngest, I want to say is 26 and the oldest is 35. So they are all grown men. They right. all have, we've been working together for the past two ish years. And I basically have my setup for what, ever like what we're trying to work on, like the overall path we're on for the next four months. Yep. However, what tools we use for that, I don't care. Like right. as long as we get the results, I'm fine. Right. So for instance, I, I put out on Instagram like a couple of days ago, i had been playing around with split cleans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have no reason why a split clean <coughs> would be a better tool than a regular power clean or a squat clean or a hang snatch or whatever. Right. I just started to play around with it myself. A couple guys saw that and they were like, Oh, that's very interesting. Can we try? Yeah. Fine. Like we have a power block. Like I don't care. Like if we're doing loaded jumps, but you're saying, no, I want to learn the split. Like they are literally telling me like, I want to learn to weightlift. Like I don't use weightlifting often. Uh, Like in my settings, it's oftentimes been a little bit too inefficient from a time perspective, especially in season with older athletes. Like There's not really much of a reason to put it in there. But these guys are literally now telling me like a couple of them, I want to learn this. Like I want to learn how to snatch and how to clean. And I get that because we have a four-month window with no competition, meaning they don't have anything that they're truly geared towards. Yeah. what's an athlete? They're a competitor. And now they're like, oh, that looks engaging. Like, that's that that looks cool. Let me try that. Okay, fine. You know what we're going to do these next couple months? We're going to try to get you to clean.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And like you said, too, like if somebody's been doing this, I mean, you got to think if somebody's 35, 36, number one they play a sport, right? Weight training, weightlifting, physical preparation is not their sport. So you have to remember that. So number two, anything that you can do or introduce that's gonna give a positive training adaptation that's gonna keep it fresh and fun for them and keep them in the gym and wanting them to come back for more is a good thing. You know, so I love that, man. I love that. So one other topic I wanna touch on because I feel like we are very kindred spirits in this regard, but talk to me about the role and the value of, like really emotionally connecting with an athlete? Why do you think that's so valuable?
1: I think it, that might be the most underrated aspect of being a, It's it has to be the reason you're a coach in the first place is you want to help other people. Yep. Like if you're not in this business purely to help other people, you're not going to be in here for the long run. Right. Like it, It's just that simple. And I think if you truly care about the athlete, you care about the human being that's behind the athlete and you just sincerely want to help them, then you understand how important the relationship with them is now, whether that means you're great guys, like you're, you're both interested in the same things and you actually, you know, sometimes hang out and all that kind of stuff, or whether that means you just respect each other and you wouldn't ever, ever, ever meet up anywhere else and do something fun together. That doesn't matter. That's all fine, but you have to get to them at a human being level. Understand them as a person so that there's one, a baseline of respect, but also that you can long-term work together. And that's with any team that you're ever going to work in. it's the same thing here. So for me, it's like the big thing is like I sincerely, I I just want to see my guys get better. Like that's all I care about. That's the most important thing for me. It's like, for instance, this past week, there's one of my players on the three-on-three team. He's on the under-23 team. He's, I want to say, six-foot-one he's always been a shooter. Like He's always been a shooter and a passer. Like He's never been, he never has a, had a first, a quick first step. He's never been fast, never been explosive. He's just always been put in that role, like you're a shooter, right? right Go your right. corner, dribble, right. pass, do your, do your job. Right. And I remember when I started working with him, that he was actually my first group of athletes ever. And he's now progressed into that under 2030 national team level. And he was he was a real, real skinny kid, but he wanted to work like the kid right. wanted to work. And so over the past couple of years, he's gained a lot of weight. And he's he's gotten so much stronger and so much better at handling, you know, the pro circuit kind of players. Yeah. And he always had one of the better standing verticals. But then when I told people, they'd be like, oh, no, no way. No way. That dude is one of the better standing verticals. There's no way. But the thing was to him, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. People would tell him you can't jump. So what does he do? He believes I can jump and he never jumps. What I think is distinguishing about kids, like if at a young age, they can actually jump, they're going to try to jump. They're going to yeah. try to dunk. They're going to try all these things. And for him, it was like, no, buddy, don't, don't try to dunk. All you got to do is shoot. Yeah. You got to pass. And so what happened these past few weeks, like I said, with the weightlifting, like I, I'm, I'm big into jumping for my own training. And so he asked me for a couple of tips because I was actually jumping before practice and he came up, he was like, hey, can you look at mine? I'm like, absolutely. And I saw a bunch of inefficiencies, which normally we wouldn't work on because we're always working in season. There's always tournaments. So there's like, I, I, we have to get our energy towards certain things. Sure. We have to push it that way. And now he came up and he was like, you know, I'm jumping like this. And I was like, Oh, wow, that's pretty horrible. Like his mechanics were horrible. Right. And I was like, okay, let's work on this. And after one session, like he, he got up to a height where I was like, you can probably dunk. And now we're two weeks further and he's practiced maybe four or five times just before practice a couple of times, because again, there's no competitions. There's no reasons not to. Right. And yesterday he got his first ever dunk. Nice. That's awesome. He's a 24 year old kid that was never able to dunk because people said he's not athletic and now he is. And you can see me in the video, I'm screaming louder than he is. I'm just just very happy for the kid for accomplishing a goal and that I play like a small role in helping him. That's all that matters. And I think if you have that kind of as your, 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 your driving factor and that that's just going to, it'll just allow you to connect with the players and that just makes your job so much better. And hopefully it makes your work with them better too.
0: You know, One thing that I've said for many, many years is that I think great coaches have this ability to see more and believe more in their athletes than the athletes believe or see in themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they give them that confidence to go out and achieve that, right? Like I think too often the average couch potato that just watches sports would think, oh, well, They're a jock and they make a lot of money and they're like playing professional sports. And so they must be like confident and like you you get out and you get around a lot of these people and it's like, like most of them are. not In fact, a lot of them aren't because even in that world, there's a different hierarchy, right? And there are alphas of the alphas. So a lot of your average guys that are like middle rotation guys or your bench guys, they don't have that level of confidence or belief. So that comes full circle to your idea of player development right? You're believing in them. You're creating an emotional connection. You're giving them the physical tools so that they can go out and become a better player. So like, that's why I do this. And it sounds like you too. Like that's, what's fun about what we do is trying to kind of hack each individual human and figure out, okay, what does this person need to help them get to the next level?
1: Absolutely.
0: So big question time, my guy, if you could alter the space-time continuum, and give young Yuri Pagel one piece of advice about training in our life, what would it be?
1: One piece of advice. I've been waiting for this question. This is, this is the one. <laughs> I think, I don't want to say that I did this wrong at all, but be you, that, that's, that's everything. I, I think like, especially when you're younger, you try to imitate other people that are successful. You want to yes. be like them. So sometimes you start to do the things like them. And what I've noticed is like, I'm a certain way, like I'm extremely energetic, I'm, I'm goofy. Like I, I play around a lot and players will make fun of me for it. Some people don't like me for it. They'll say like, I have too much energy, but I mean, like, that's, that's like, uh, of course you, you can always kind of adjust certain aspects of your personality to match the situation you're in. you have to absolutely have to. But I think the big thing I would tell myself is whatever you do, like, just be you. Like I'm extremely passionate. Follow that passion. Don't listen to what other people are telling you. What's best for you? Like, do who like be who you are and do what you want to do, and everything will find like will probably find its way in the end.
0: Doesn't matter if we're talking athletes, clients, PT patients, people respond to authenticity, right? And, And. Look, I was there. Like when I was young, I had no clue what I was doing. Imposter syndrome was rife. So I was just trying to be like the other people, the other coaches that I was surrounded by. And the more I got away from that, the more I got that time to kind of create and cultivate my own kind of coaching persona, if you will, and match what I felt as a coach with who I was as a human, that's when I really started making those connections. So, man, that's fantastic advice. And as young coaches, it's hard. It's very hard, especially if you're a young human and you're still trying to figure yourself out, you know, plus learning this, plus interacting with people that are sometimes in pro sports 10, 15 years older in real life. Some of these people are 30, 40 years older than you. So that's just fantastic advice, man. Be you, be authentic, figure out who you are as a human. And it's going to make you a better coach.
1: Yeah. And I mean, on the other hand, like I should shut up probably because I'm 27 years old. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, man, I love it. I love it. Okay, my guy. Last but not least, lightning round. So for right. fairly short questions, your answers can be as long or short as you like. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach?
1: First time I got to wear my national team gear. Mm-hmm. So first time I got to wear this the the clothes with like the, the Dutch uh, national flag That was probably the highlight of my career, yeah. Pretty hard
0: to beat, man. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Number two, talk to me about the bunnies, man. Have you always been able to jump like that? Or is that just something you've worked incredibly hard at here to make happen?
1: Actually very funny. So I, I was very unathletic when I played basketball until 20. So until age 20. Yeah. Then I hit the weight room hard. My numbers went up and this is also the reason why when I started working with my first club, I fell into that trap of like strength is everything. Because what happened, I had gotten very, very much stronger. And before I stopped playing basketball, I could sometimes off one leg dunk and off two it was like no chance. Right. And then two years later I came back and I hadn't jumped at all. All I just done was clean, snatches, squats, deadlifts, you know, the 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 usual. And I came back and I could jump I could dunk off a standstill. Mm. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is this is the magic pill. Like everyone's right. always been talking, there is none. Here right. it is. Right. So that was kind of like how I got into to jumping. And then what's funny is until maybe I want to say a year, a year and a half ago, like I had just kept on doing the same thing. And of course, my jump had just stagnated. I didn't really care. So then once I started to read more into uh, Yuri Verkashansky's work and more of the plyometric, real foundational thoughts about plyometrics, I started to implement that more. So I started to work more on drills that would target elastic energy usage and drills that would increase my stretch shortening cycles capabilities. All that kind of stuff, and then my jump took another leap, of course. Yep. And then this past leap that I've kind of taken into improving my jump has been jump mechanics themselves, because yeah. so now I could jump very well off a standstill. Like the, the standing dunks would be easy, and then the approach dunks wouldn't be that much more like entertaining, right? They'd be entertaining, but not for the right way, right? So then I I hired John Evans, who's a who's a, a jump coach, and he works with a lot of, a lot of pro dunkers. Okay. I hired him for for online coaching, just about mechanics. And that's what I've been doing the past couple of months to kind of get on that aspect, because as you know, everything is a skill. Right. So this is kind of like the, the, the final piece of the puzzle for my my uh, jump progression. And then I can just get back to, to cleaning and snatching.
0: <laughs> that's awesome, man. But so there's some really good stuff in there, too. Like most people just think, oh, you just go out and you jump. But no, there's an actual like foundational mechanic piece to this. It's like any uh, other movement, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I, I mean, I would love to like if I were younger, again, I didn't have the jumps. Like, I didn't have the jumping ability. If I can tell any kid at any time now what they should do when they're younger and they want to get into to basketball or dunking or et cetera, dunk at a young age on low rims. Mm, work the yeah. skill on the lower rim. Like if, if you can't get to the backboard or get to the rim, you're never really going to want to jump on a high hoop because it doesn't make sense. Right. But you go to a seven or an eight-foot hoop and you can barely dunk or maybe you can get your first windmill in, you're practicing that skill at a young age. Yeah. Now, my motor patterns are – I mean they're pretty much set. Like I'll, I right. I can of course change them, but I'm 27. It's not going to change like when I'm 14. Right. But if I had already ingrained those motor patterns then – and then I added on, you know, the squatting and the cleaning and all the plyometrics and that kind of stuff. I probably would have had an easier way now to yeah. to get better at jumping than I do now. So if I can give anyone at that age and like a piece of advice if they want to get better at this kind of stuff, dunk on low rims. Teachers, like
0: basically. I love that. Okay, number three. What's your favorite aspect of being a coach?
1: Watch watching these 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 guys get better. If they. You know, if if they do well at competitions, at on games, tournaments, if they win a championship, like I'm 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 just so ecstatic for them. If they lose, like I'm emotional. Like yeah. I've thrown a lot of shit around angry. <laughs> right. right. Because I, Personally, I feel like if, if something doesn't go go well, like it's also part it's also my fault. Yeah. But then when they do well, like it, it's just it's just the best like watching them celebrate, watching them be happy just in the background. I mean that's it's it's just it's the most amazing feeling
0: ever, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I love it. All right, last but not least, number four. What's next for Yuri Pagel? What do you got going on? What are you excited about? Anything? What
1: I got going on? So I'm signed for another year up at Ajax. So that's what I'm going to be doing the next year, and nice. then uh, still with the the national teams on the side. I think the big thing for me is like I'm in a phase where my development is still very, very important. Like, I feel like I'm still very much on the the growing end of the spectrum. Like I sure. still have so much to learn, still have so many mistakes I'm, I'm making on a daily basis. I just wanna try to to continuously get better and learn new things. So that's that's a big thing for me. And then, you know, be where your feet are. Like I've, I've never, like every single move so far in my career, I have never seen it coming. Like yeah. none of them, I saw them coming. And it's like, I'm very, like, I would love to go to the NBA. Like I would love to have an opportunity there and to fulfill my childhood dreams and to work at the highest level in basketball. Like that's my, that's my goal. That's my dream. But I am not actively saying like, Oh, I need to get there now.
0: Right. If
1: I just focus on the right things, hopefully that opportunity will someday arise. And if it doesn't, then at least I can look back and be like, I tried to do everything for the people that I was working with at that time. That's all that matters to me.
0: Yep. Absolutely. I love it man well I love your passion. I appreciate you coming on here. where can my listeners find out more about you and everything you got going on
1: so I am way too active on social media uh, I'm, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Yuri Pagel so that's y o e r i p e g e l and I like I said like I have that phone in my hand way too often so uh,
0: <laughs> that, that's that's where you can reach me I love it well Yuri man thanks again for coming on buddy this was really great thanks for having me. And that does it for this week's show with Yuri. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He is a breath of fresh air. I love talking to young coaches, especially guys that are open-minded. They're willing to admit they don't know everything, but also, you know, exuding some confidence, having a little bit of swagger, because I think you have to find that blend as a young coach. You're never going to have the clout. You're never going to have the wisdom of a 40, 50, 60 year old coach, but at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't be confident as long as you are humble and you understand you don't know it all. So my friend, I really hope you enjoyed this show. If you did do me one of two things. Number one, if you're not already subscribed, do that now. It doesn't matter. SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google play, Uh, I mean, it's basically everywhere, right? So if you're not already subscribed to the show, do that now. So you get a notification each and every week when I drop a new episode. Second, if you are, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Go to iTunes and give me a ranking and a review. If it's a five-star ranking, my friend, I would love that. Um, but the rankings and the reviews are fantastic for bumping up the show in the search engines, getting us more exposure and ultimately helping more trainers, coaches, and athletes like you get exposed to the show and understand what it is we're trying to do here. I'm trying to change the game and I appreciate you for listening each and every week. So my friend that does it for this week's episode, love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.